Your first eight guys maybe should be blue plate specials, but those back five guys, they should be more like tin hats, more guys that are grunt players, garbage players that dive for the ball. You are listening to the Scrambled Eggs Podcast on CrackedSidewalks.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome into Scrambled Eggs, your unofficial Marquette basketball podcast here on CrackedSidewalks.com. Joe McCann here once again with Phil Bush. And, uh, Phil, i, I got to say, last week that was about as stress-free as a week in the Big East could possibly be. I'm not going to lie. That was probably the most fun I've had at Big, Big East basketball games that I actually cared about the result. I just had a good time last week. Yeah, I, I think everyone who uh, went to Pfizer Forum last week Really had a good time. Two blowout wins. So, yeah, in this week's show, we'll talk about those two blowout wins, give some love to some of the players who had big weeks, and we will look ahead to the home stretch here, Phil. Gosh, only four regular season games left. And uh, then we'll be talking tournament, talking March, and seeing where Marquette is shaping up as um, the bracket picture becomes a little more clear as March is just a couple weeks away now. So... Actually, less than a couple weeks away. It is March is this Friday. Yeah, we, <laughs> the, yeah. The selection Selection Sunday is three weeks from yesterday. Yes, yesterday Ooh, being boy. Sunday. So three more weeks, and we find out where Marquette's going. And we are, you know, a, a locked team at this point. Not that I want to see it, but we could lose every game the rest of the way, and we'd still be in. So we're locked. It's just a yeah, question but- of what that seed is. Yeah, we'll talk maybe a little bit about the tournament picture a little bit later on the show. But first, let's at least uh, touch on the two games of the past week. Uh, certainly not much to break down stress-wise, Phil, but uh, like you said, a lot of fun, I think, for Marquette fans last week. Uh, I-, I think the obvious place to start is with the Big East Player of the Week, and that would be Mr. Cam Jones. Uh, boy, Cam was locked in last week. He set his career high with 34 points, and then he tied his career high with another 34 points in both games last week. Um, I-, I think... that. That's just kind of where I started. How great is it to see Cam locked in? Belated happy birthday to Cam Jones, by the way. He celebrated with 34 points on Xavier. Um, to, but to see him locked in the way he was last week. I, I mean, we've we've functionally been missing him for, for quite a bit, right? Like, he was injured. He had one good game against Georgetown. And then by, I'll say, generic Cam standards, you know, he was, he was off for a fair bit against Connecticut, Butler, St. John's, and even before that Villanova game when he did not play, um, you know, he was struggling a little bit. You know, DePaul, St. John's, he did not play well. Um, and his shooting was was largely off. So to get a, you know, a full-fledged cam show against, you know, DePaul is about as far as you can get from a quality opponent. opponent. But Xavier, despite what we did to them, is not like – a laughing matter. There's still a Ken Palm top 60 team and to go off for 34 points in an, an extremely efficient 34 points. That's the crazy thing. He went, he went, uh, he went for 68 points, uh, one short of that. Nice. But, um, he went for, uh, uh, he went for 68 points in 50 minutes of total gameplay. That is about as efficient as you can go. Yeah. If he wanted to, he could have dropped 50 on DePaul. I mean, oh, 34 easy. points in 22 minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, Shocker really called off the dogs uh, in that game. Understandably so. I mean, that, that game was a laugher almost from the jump. But, um, yeah, Cam, I, I think you just kind of hit a nail on the head there, Phil. Like, yeah, Cam's been fine. It's not like he's been bad, but the standard to which I think we hold Cam Jones, he had been a little short of that for a while, whether he wasn't hitting threes or wasn't getting in the lane and getting those acrobatic two-point layups – that he normally gets. Um, we haven't seen that many great games from Cam Jones since he's been injured. But for him to have back-to-back 34-point games, he's got his three-point percentage back above 40% for the year. That's great to see. Uh, and he may be heating up at just the right time as Marquette has a, a critical home stretch here with regards to uh, – Solidifying their seating in the NCAA tournament, and the, you know the biggest title picture is all but done, but it's not totally it's not over done yet. Done. I mean, Marquette, yeah, yeah, it's not official yet, but I mean, there's still that to play for, and then there's just you know finishing second in the league and seating uh, in the Big East tournament. How much that I don't we'll 
we can, I guess, debate how much that truly matters. But bottom line is Marquette still has to play for seeding in the NCAA tournament, and it's good to have Cam Jones locked in because you really want him cooking when that tournament begins uh, in a few weeks. Yeah, and I mean, it's probably been at least two months since we saw the big three for Marquette, Cam Jones, Tyler Kolick, and Oso Iguodaro, you know, exist and play at high-level collectively, right? And you're always going to get a little bit of, there's only one basketball, you know, and there's there's other folks that, you know, David Joplin can score buckets or, or play well or whatever. So you're never going to get, you know, maybe maybe we'll see it sometime, but it's not like you're going to have a situation where Tyler, Oso, and, and Cam all go for 25 each, right? There's there's going to be some trade-offs there. But this is this last week is especially has been the first time, I think, since probably Maui, where I felt like all three were playing at a high level that, you know, maybe statistically they don't show up as like the greatest, you know, their their greatest games all at the same time. But collectively, as an entity, this was this was probably the the most synced up we saw of the team as a whole. And those three, especially all, all, you know, since Maui. And I think that's great. It, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, Hey, maybe we have an opportunity to peak here a little bit early, right? We had, we are, are peak here a little bit right at the right time. Right. I mean, we had a bit of a reset after the Seton Hall Butler game, right. Kind of got our brains, right. Went on an eight game winning streak you know, were deeply humbled by UConn, um, kind of reset and went <clears throat> went and humbled DePaul and Xavier. Um, so may, maybe maybe these next four games is is the right time for this team to be peaking. Yeah, I think the next four will maybe tell us a little bit more because yeah, well, first of all, we, DePaul is well documented. They're, I mean, they're how bad they are. I mean, they're sub three hundred on Ken Palm. I was surprised that Xavier went the way. It, it did. Now, not that Xavier is great, but like you said, they're a top 60 Ken Palm team. Marquette was certainly not expected to blow out Xavier. I mean, you look ahead to the last game of the season at Xavier, they're only a three-point favorite against the Musketeers. So I was surprised that game went the way it did. Uh, not that Marquette won, but that they won by so much. Right. Um, and and, and it, that so it was easy. never in doubt. Yeah, never in doubt. I mean, it, Xavier kind of closed it to uh, the final score is 88-64. It was not nearly that close. It was every bit the blowout that DePaul was. Yep. But, you know, when you had walk-ons and freshmen towards the end of the game, that gap can close a little bit. But, yeah, I think the fact that they were able to um, put back-to-back dominant performances like that was was quite telling that they, they, they really got off the mat after that Connecticut game and really shook that off pretty quickly and got back to being them and being a legitimate top 10, top 5 team. They're now five, back up to number 5 in the AP poll. So, yeah, let's uh, see if we can get, oh, I don't know, 8, 9, 10 more games like that mm-hmm. this season. That'd be pretty sweet. But that that would be that would be awesome. And the, the other thing, I, we haven't touched on it, the one thing we do have to visit for the DePaul game was uh, Tyler Tyler Kolick, point god. <laughs> um you know, getting getting a Marquette record for a single game uh, assist record, right? He had 18 assists. And that was part of what added to the fun of that DePaul game. Because, again, I mean, if you go to Ken Palm and you look at the, the win probability, it is it is flatline, right? Like, it's Abraham Lincoln, like, just gone, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so the game was, was never in doubt. In fact, Marquette, I'm just looking at it in the first 10 minutes, and Marquette was in the first ten minutes had a thirty-one to eight lead. So, like again, never in doubt. But Tyler Kolick pretty early, and and I think for the savvy fan you could kind of see it when he got probably three or four assists in the first couple of minutes. I think a light bulb kind of clicked for him that said, um, you know, there there might be some uh, some record hunting I can go do here, and and you could see it like he just. Not, not that he stopped shooting, but like he just was not looking to shoot at all. Like I was surprised. Oh he, yeah, I was surprised he took two shots at all. Um, yeah, I, you described it very well. What was it? He had like seven assists in the first seven minutes. Mm-hmm. It was something very, very quick. And 
Tyler knows very well what the Marquette single game assist record was because he had a game last year. I forget what the opponent was, but I think it was another game. Might have even been to Paul or Georgetown because it was another game that was over pretty early. But he had like 16 assists in a game last year, but the game was out of hand and he sat down for like the last four, five, six minutes. If you remember, like there was a game. I think like that, that was last DePaul year. at the Wind Trust. Yes, I think that's what it okay, was. Okay, so. So anyway, after just I'm sure after that game he w- was made aware of what that assist record was. So he knew it was 18. And so at that probably that first that uh, under 12 timeout, he he knew like dude, all right, I am cooking right now, and we're gonna win this game easy. So uh, I'm gonna go get this assist record. <laughs> right. Like, uh, you know if if DePaul had ever like made it a game maybe like that focus would have changed a little bit and it would have been more see the thing is Tyler passing the ball is a team oriented concept it wasn't a selfish way to play it's not like he was trying to score a hundred right it was uh like him passing the ball as as Shaka says you know that's the number one EGB the energy energy generating behavior is passing the ball so when Tyler does it that's like the best thing that he can do but like you said he wasn't even when he had an open look uh, he wasn't looking to shoot that, or he wasn't looking to drive and get a layup. He was looking to get the ball in his hands and then find a guy who can make a shot. Right. And yeah, he he went after it pretty early, and I 100% support it because I, I think it's great that Tyler is able to uh, claim an assist record. That's similar to Cam in 34. Like he could have had so many more assists. I think they said the Big East record was 22. Um, I think the NCAA record was 25. Yep. And so, yeah, if he wanted to get those, yes, he could have played to the bitter end when the walk-ons – well, they probably wouldn't have left the walk-ons in to get Tyler an assist record. But, yeah, he could have played to the very bitter end and gotten those records. But, again, Ishaq even said on his radio show, in a game like that, the last thing you want to do is leave your guys in chasing records and have somebody turn an ankle and then miss the Xavier game, right? Right. So – I understand. Like he got his record, he got it very early. So Shaka had no decision to make at all there in the second half. It's like, all right, what? I think we took the stars out with like eight minutes to go. Yep. Something like I think that was. A, so it was like, all right, you got your record. We're gonna stop here. You go sit down. We're gonna let you know Trey Norman run the show for a little while. Right. Well, in in fact, that DePaul game was the lowest number of minutes uh, Tyler has played since the Southern game. Right. Right. So like. You know, he got that record in in 26 minutes, which is a walk in the park for her him compared to his normal minutes. But I I think what what made it so fun, like not only was like just watching him do what he was doing fun, but I and you know kudos to the Marquette fans who are a pretty savvy bunch, and I'm sure like me, everybody that was at the five serve was in chats with friends where they're going back. Oh, what's the assist record? But like. The energy for a buy game, or you know, what, what's functionally a buy game. I mean, DePaul is, let's say it, de- pathetic. Um, for for a buy game, the energy was super high, and that was because the whole crowd knew what the assist record was and could kind of sense Tyler going for it, especially late in that first half. And there was even like, even in my section, we were we were joking around like anytime like when. Tyler made a, a pass and David Joplin missed a three. It was like, oh, come on, David, what are you doing? Right? Like, <laughs> you know, so it was a lot of like just fun, high energy as you were watching watching him just like absolutely cook. And I think honestly, he probably went a bridge too far because like you said, Shaka mentioned it on this on his radio show, but when uh, Tyler decided, you know what, I'm going to jump up and I'm going to bounce past this between my legs back to cam for a three i think that was probably the the, the moment shaka goes um this might be getting out of hand we should probably yeah we're done here stop. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> we should probably put a stop to this i mean i was so mad cam didn't hit it because it was wide oh. open wide open but you know hey you, you can't get mad at cam who went like i think eight to ten that game so you know. Yeah, that was one of only two three-point misses for him on the night out of ten attempts. So yeah, but yeah, that would have been one for the season-ending highlight reel for sure. Quite, quite frankly, like, he may have been laughing. That, that's maybe why yeah. he missed it. Yeah, that's, that's probably why. That's probably why he missed it. He felt like, oh man, that was hilarious. They may do some creative editing and leave the pass in the highlight reel anyway and make it look like he <laughs> yeah. led to something. But yeah, but no, that was that was a fantastic moment. But yeah, I agree. It was also a moment where Jack said, "All right." Stars have had their fun. This game is over. 
let's get the uh, let's get the young guys in. And it was good to see the young guys get extended minutes in both games this week. And you know, Trey Norman had a career high seven against DePaul. And I, I think granted that may not mean a ton this year, but I think it may mean something going in the next year because when Trey can get in Zade too, all the freshmen really. But mm-hmm. when they can get extended minutes and like find their groove, I mean, these are guys who are used to playing probably every minute of a meaningful game for their high school teams, and now they only kind of get in when you know Marquette is really shorthanded or just guys need a quick blow or the game is out of hand. Uh, it, it's an adjustment for them, and to see those guys get in and play several minutes, like play up until a timeout and then come back on after the timeout and actually get a get in a groove and get in a rhythm, I think is fun to see. And I think it's a it's a minor thing. It's not probably again, it's not something big for this year, but to see Trey especially, you know, confident when he has the ball in his hands, both the DePaul and Xavier games and feeling like, all right, I, I, I'm a D1 basketball player now. I, I really just kind of felt like a backup who barely played, you know, the first half of the season. But like to see that growth in him, even though it may be small, I think is something that could be encouraging going forward. Right, exactly. Well, and and it's, you know, you now know you have a bit of a break glass in case of emergency if needs be, right? Like you can go down to that, le- you know, you can get play Trey for a couple of minutes and he's not going to hurt you, maybe get you some buckets. And, and he now's, you know, now, like you said, the confidence, I think, is the biggest thing, right? And and the same with Zaid, right? Zaid has a little more confidence. He's played some meaningful minutes. Maybe he hasn't seen the results, but, you know, they now know they're there. They now know they can do this at this level. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, I, I was relieved because I was, I'll, I'll be honest, like, I was a little concerned, like, is Trey going to be something, right? Like, you don't expect, you don't expect... Um, players to come in and just dominate off the jump unless they're, you know, one of those those five-star folks, right? I can't even remember, right. you know, the last time, you know, a, a, probably, you know, Wes, uh, Dominic James, and, and Jarrell McNeil. Like, that was – and that was out of necessity, right, where those those freshmen came in and, and just showed you who they were from the, from the jump. So, you know, it, that's not common to have Trey come in and just – you know, jump into the starting lineup necessarily, but I was a little worried. Like, hey, wh- what are they seeing that I'm not? Because, because I'll be honest, in in the games, I was I was always surprised that Trey came in before Zade. Like in game minutes that I could actually see, I always felt like Zade was more confident, a better defender. Um, and and I thought, you know, hey, why why isn't Zade getting those minutes when Trey is? And I tell you what. Now I start to get it. Now I see a little bit, right? Like that fi- fills me with hope for next season. That fills me for with hope for the rest of the season. That, like, hey, there is something to this trade thing, and he just he just needed some time. Yeah, and not that I want to dive too much into next year right now, but uh, he may be needed at the point guard spot next right. year, um, depending on. Uh, I think most of us are under the assumption that this is Tyler's last year. He still has a COVID year he could use, but I, I think based on NBA draft projections that this will be it for Tyler. And then we just don't know about Sean Jones. We hope he recovers from that ACL and is ready to take the floor in November, December, but he might not be right. He right. may not be as quick as he was, and they may have to make a decision about a red shirt for, for Sean next year. And if that's the case, suddenly you might be a little thin at ball handlers. And then it, a lot of that may fall on Trey, but again, I, I don't want to break down next year just yet because there is so much excitement to talk about this year um, and, and what is to come. I think another thing that I wanted to at least touch on on the pod, Phil, and, uh, uh, this is almost by request from Shaka, not directly to us, but to, <laughs> just to people in general, um, that uh, the Stevie Mitchell Big East Defensive Player of the Year campaign. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think those of us who watch Marquette on a regular basis know how valuable Stevie is, and the impact he brings and I mean there are stats I mean there are stats out there I wish I had done a little more prep work and had them ahead of me because Mark Strotman of Paint Touches fame tweets out a lot of Stevie Mitchell stats in games after games 
check his feed, but like the amount of steals that Stevie gets, the way he just impacts the ball or impacts the game, the number of rebounds he gets, the number of two point baskets he gets for a guy his size, uh, and then but again we're talking mostly defense here, and just the effort he brings night in and night out, just the pest he is, and we we saw it earlier this year when he was gone, we felt that absence. Uh, on Marquette's roster, just watching them without Stevie. Uh, I, I hope they don't just give it to a tall player like Kalkbrenner or Klingon. Uh, and not that those guys are unworthy, but uh, I, Stevie's impact, it really can't be measured in a box score that much, although his steals, the amount of steals he gets are, are pretty remarkable. Yeah, I, well, I mean, Stevie is just a, a pest, right? He's a disruptor, and, and I think this is... You know, because as you alluded to, Shaka mentioned on the uh, um, on his radio show that they needed to get out and kind of advertise deflections and you know really promote Stevie Mitchell right. out there for um, you know for Defensive Player of the Year because you know he does show up in the in the stat line on the steals, but he's he's more than the steals, right? Like he gets in there, he he pesters shots. Maybe he doesn't block them, um, but he's certainly um, you know, disrupts or, or makes people think he's sm- so smart on on when to double, where to double from. Um, you know, he's a great on-ball defender. He disrupts their offense. So even, you know, the opponent's offense, even if they don't, you know, turn the ball over, maybe they, you know, have to reset and now they're up against the, the shot clock or whatever. So he shows up in all sorts of innumerable ways. And, you know, and like Shaka said, you know, you know, we they just need to promote him, right? Like, and get him talked about in that way because, you know, I'll be honest with you know, we, that's probably what we missed the last time we played Providence the most was right. that we didn't have Stevie to help defend somebody like a Devin Carter, um, and and you know, so he really shows up when he hasn't he doesn't play, and I have to say, not only is he clearly our best defender. Um, you know, both on ball and off ball, though I will argue, you can argue though, Oso might be the more important of the two, um, just because of the way Oso runs the kind of the defensive uh, setup back there. But I, I think Stevie is clearly the best defensive, pure defensive player on the team. But his os- offense has also come along, right? Like, I don't get worried when he's dribbling the ball, he's pretty crafty in the lane, right? Like, he's shooting. 65% from two. That's pretty darn good, even though he's only shooting 27% from three. You know, he's able to generate some looks. He can pass. He can, you know, turn folks over. And, and you know, he is probably, I would say, the unsung, un, unsung hero of this team right now. Yeah, he is a, uh, he's certainly a glue guy, to use the black basketball cliche, but that really applies to him just because the team is just less connected on both ends of the floor when he's not mm-hmm. out there, uh, or when he's not there for a game. And, yeah, you know, I was thinking about as far as, like, promoting him. The funny thing about that is, like, that that award, Big East Defensive Player of the Year, is voted on the Big East, by the Big East coaches, correct? Right, yes. So, uh, like, it's like we need to pester them about it. Right. We need to spam all the Big East coaches. Hey, remember when you got really annoyed that Stevie Mitchell kept screwing up your offense? Vote. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that would be like a mission for anyone who covers Marquette basketball on a regular basis and is in those post game press conferences. Shout out to Ben Steele, or you know, student media, whoever else is in there. When the opposing coach comes in, make sure you ask said coach, "Hey, could you talk about Stevie? What do you think about Stevie Mitchell's defensive effort in today's game?" Just gotta put that little, you know seed in their brain. And just like every time a coach comes in, whether it's Kim English after the Providence game, McDermott after the Creighton game, Hurley after the UConn game, say, hey, what can you say about the effort Stevie Mitchell had tonight on defensively and how that disrupted your offense? Just keep asking that question. That's all I'm saying. Because that, oh. that, it's, it's we can you know, pester all the national like media guys like Parrish and Norlander or the Field of 48 guys or whoever, but they don't vote on it. Right, I mean, right. they can talk about it like we talk about it, but we don't get to vote on that thing either. Because I know who my vote would be for. But yeah, so it's we gotta we gotta bug the Big East coaches. So, sounds like sounds I need to get a good. I need to get a press pass and uh, show up at yeah. some some post game pressers. So uh, I, can I, you tell me about Stevie Mitchell and why you're going to be voting for him as defensive player <laughs> of the year? 
<laughs> Will you be voting for Stevie Mitchell, and if so, why not? Why is who is the Big East Defensive Player of the Year, and why is it Stevie Mitchell? I I don't I don't know what the the the, the professionalism standard is in your industry, but that don't that doesn't feel like it. I've heard much worse. Oh, that's true. I, heard, I oh, you know what? I, I'll I'll go and I'll ask him. What you know? Is it going to be really difficult playing in in the cold? You know, like right? Yeah, yeah we, exactly. That was what I was about to reference. We had a, uh, a a reporter in Tampa ask Todd Bowles if he was worried about the cold weather in Detroit. Of course, they play in a dome, so. You would, it would not be the dumbest question I've heard in a post-game press conference, not not by a long shot. So, you know, you mentioned the Providence game, Phil, and I think that's a great place to transition here, is that, so this matchup will be quite a bit different from the last time these two teams played for a couple reasons. Obviously, Stevie Mitchell was not with Marquette the first time, and that was of that four-game stretch when Stevie Mitchell did not play. This was the only game that Marquette did lose when he was out. So, I mean, they blew out Notre Dame. They uh, played a tougher-than-expected game against St. Thomas, but won that one, lost to Providence, and then uh, coasted past Georgetown, as most teams tend to do this year. But no Steve Mitchell. I think that obviously hurt. Providence played great, and they also had Bryce Hopkins. Now, unfortunately for Providence, Hopkins was lost for the year with an ACL injury two games later. So they have been a bit of a different team since then, but they've still been pretty... They've still been at least middle of the pack in the Big East. They're 9-7 and seven in the league. Now, they have really, though, only one great win. I, well, maybe a couple, I, su- I should say. I mean, their best win since the Hopkins injury, they beat Creighton at home in overtime. But, you know, they have, since then, their wins, they beat DePaul. They beat Seton Hall on the road. That was a decent win. They beat Georgetown. They beat the Johnnies when they were struggling. Then they beat DePaul and beat Xavier. Uh, so those are their wins since the Hopkins injury. They've also lost to Creighton, lost to St. John's, lost at home to Xavier, lost to Connecticut as everyone does. They lost at Nova, uh, and then they lost at Butler. So they, I mean, they've been up and down, but they are at least kind of in the mix for the tournament. So this is a desperate team mm-hmm. this week, Phil. That that they really need to beat Marquette to um, maybe get on the right side of the bubble. Well, and what and do they you need think it, of the? And- and they need to get a win to uh, try and stay on that five seed line for the Big East tournament. Yeah, that that that's important too, because uh, you don't want to try to win, be in a position to have to win four games in four days. Um, but yeah, so what do you think of the Hopkins-less Friars? Um, I think they're dangerous. They're you know I, you know it's it's kind of not to torture a metaphor, but they are a little bit of a wounded animal, right? They they don't have Hopkins. Um, they do have Devin Carter, who has been just on a ridiculous, um, you know, scoring streak for the last two months, right? I mean, he's he's shooting forty percent from three, um, you know, fifty six percent from two. Uh, he's he does it all for them. He you know he dominates the ball when when he's there. So um, you know that is the risk, right? That that Devin Carter and then maybe another player, you know. Ticket gains went off against us in in the in the first game, right? Um, even though he plays relatively limited minutes, um, so that's that's the risk of a Providence is you know they get hot shooting, um, they they find a crack somewhere and and can get through. Um, that's the thing that worries me. But again, Marquette, the way it's been playing, the confidence it's playing with, the 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 strength with which it's shooting the ball. And outside of the Butler game, which was we've ad nauseum said was just a bonkers game, that was just as weird as hell. Marquette hasn't lost at home, you know. So this is a home game for Marquette. They're going to have the crowd. They're going to have an energy. Six p.m. tip. Um, I, I'm worried, but not that worried. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I guess in that same vein, I I am very aware of what Providence is capable of, but. I am also aware of what Marquette is capable of, especially this being their third consecutive home game. Like something I said last week, I think the comfort of not having to go on the road for like 10 days mm-hmm. or whatever it's going to be, like to, to sleep in your own bed in your own dorm for more than a week compared to what the past two, three, four weeks have been like for this team, I think you will see a 
rested and comfortable Marquette squad, especially coming after two games where like none of the starters had to play extended minutes. Like all the young guys got extra minutes, and so no nobody had to play like 30 minutes in either of the games last week. So I think you'll see a team that's fresh, a team that's focused, a team that is excited for its penultimate home game. Um, and uh, I would expect a decent crowd. I mean, every crowd's been pretty good this year. They haven't all been like sellout necessarily, but that, there have been quite a few sellouts. I don't know if this one is sold out or not. It might be. I, I believe this is available. the one that is not yet sold out. But, well, the okay. other thing, like, like you said, well-rested, it'll be curious. Um uh, Providence is coming off of essentially a bye. They last played last Wednesday on the road at Xavier and are now going on the road at Marquette. So they haven't played basketball in a week. And we've seen, at least from a Marquette perspective, that can set you back a little bit. You know, when you jump back into things, there there seems to be some value to playing two games a week and just staying in that in, in that kind of mindset. So, you know, it could be a case of where Providence is a little sluggish and you know, if they're maybe a little sluggish, we, we've seen this Marquette team, you know, in the last couple of weeks here, you know, kind of put their foot down and, and just demoralize you to the point of, well, maybe maybe today's not the day, right? They, they, took, they, they took the lesson from what happened to them at UConn and said, hey, let's go see if we can do that to other people. Yeah. Yeah, you, you mentioned the last time, and, you know, the, the rebounding is, of course, all, was always going to be an issue against Providence, but without Hopkins, maybe that is lessened a little bit. Um, and you mentioned Gaines having a great game last time. He was 5 of 10 from 3. Devin Carter was 5 of 9. So he had 10 three-pointers made between two guys the last time. Marquette did not shoot the ball well at all in that game. They were 4 of 20 from 3. So it was, uh, it was, it was a tough night. And I, I think Stevie being out was one thing. And just overall, Marquette just did not play well. And I think part of it was a credit to Providence I mean, going to what is formerly known as the dunk is always tough. Those fans are nuts. And, uh, yeah, it, just, it was a rough night the last time. But, yeah, I think going back, coming back to Milwaukee this time around, Stevie Mitchell in, Bryce Hopkins out. Marquette is favored on Ken Palm by nine. Um, yeah, I, I would feel pretty good about Marquette keeping the good momentum rolling uh, with a win here uh, at home against Providence before um, – getting back out on the road. So I, I think that's kind of sounds like where you were as well, Phil, like uh, aware of what Providence is capable of, but taking all things into account, I, I would feel pretty good about another home win for the Golden Eagles on, on Wednesday night. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be a laugher. I don't think it's going to be a, Hey, I can head to the car with four minutes left and know this is comfortably, you know, put away. But, but I think this may end up being a, you know, it, on the verge of a double-digit win, but it's it's going to be you know it's going to be in the range where maybe Providence is fouling late or something like that. I think that's that's the most likely outcome of this game. Yeah, I, I'm with you on there. So maybe the nine-point spread on Ken Palm feels about right. We'll see. I don't know what that that will be. What the Vegas line will be, but sounds about right. So yeah. Then moving on to then the uh, we're really getting into the the final stretch here, starting on Saturday. Marquette visits Creighton, and then there's only two games left after that, hosting Connecticut, and then the trip to Xavier to wrap up the season. Saturday, boy, uh, you know, uh, two top ten, well, I guess not two top ten teams, but two highly ranked teams. Creighton coming off a very interesting week for them as they absolutely trucked Connecticut uh, on Tuesday, and then they went out and laid an egg against St. John's. So a bit of a head-scratching week for the Blue Jays, who are still one of the, you know, still one of the elite teams in the country, a team that certainly has Final Four aspirations and uh, maybe a chance to win a Big East tournament title at Madison Square Garden. Just basically, they're similar to a place where Marquette is, as far as the big picture, as far as seating, as far as I think national perception. Um, Marquette obviously beat Creighton the first time around. Uh, that one was at home, but uh, boy, this is going to be one of the most talked about games of the week, Phil, and. Um, you know, going to Omaha is never, certainly never easy, but I, I feel like, generally speaking, Marquette has done okay going to Omaha. Like, it's not like it's an impossible place to win for them. But, you know, w- when, you're, when you're going to Creighton, you know, you obviously the two things that jump out are going to be, uh, uh, you know, Shireman and Kalkbrenner, right? Because what Shireman right. can do, shooting the ball, scoring the ball, and then just Kalkbrenner, similar to Klingon, but also different, but just an absolute beast in the middle who is just a real pain 
to deal with, and he's going to make those acrobatic layups that Marquette is so good at with their guards a little bit trickier. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you you think of Creighton as a bit of a fundamentally sound team, right? They're not going to necessarily beat themselves. I think the key to Creighton, though, is like much like Marquette has been this season, maybe not quite. You know, not with not Marquette hasn't been as as dependent on it. Um, but it's all going to come down to how well Creighton shoots the three. There are nights where they can shoot lights out from three, like I like you saw against uh, UConn this this past week. And then there can be nights, you know, days like the game they just lost to a white suited uh, John Calipari, who apparently just needed to tell all of his players they were not fat and lazy or not Calipari. Good lord. Patino, Ricky Patino, um, had to tell all <laughs> wrong his... former Kentucky coach. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I get you. You're right. R- wrong scumbag. My fault. My bad, guys. <laughs> my my bad on that one. Um, but uh, uh, Patino just had to tell his players they were fat and lazy, and and they in in a national press conference, and they'll they'll uh, show up for future games. But you know they are highly dependent on whether that three is is hitting for them or not. Um, you know, they, they do shoot at a relatively high percentage of 36%. And, you know, Marquette's come up considerably from where they were, but Marquette's at, you know, just about 35%. But but again, you know, and they do hit a fair amount of twos as well. So I, I think there's a bit of a mirror image here. Um, Marquette under, under Shaka has had some success going into Creighton. It's a miserable place to visit. I, I know that much. <laughs> Um, so yeah, in that regard, it, it's, it's not going to be an easy game, right? I don't, especially at home, Creighton's not going to just roll over or get blown out or anything like that. Um, especially when they need that game to, to really solidify a top 16 seed, right? I mean, they're, you know, depending on how things go, they could fall down to a five seed line. Um, and you know, you don't want that. Yeah. And Creighton's also in, in that in that spot of, uh, I mean, they are, I mean, they're probably going to get a top four seed in New York, but it's not a lock for them right now. Like if they were to lose this one and then stumble, see who does Creighton have for the next few games after this? So they got, so they have Seton Hall on Wednesday, then Marquette, and then they they only have three games left and then they have a road game at Nova. So yeah, if they were to lose two out of three, it might be a little tricky for them. Um, as far as getting the top five seed. And I think it's from the Marquette perspective, <laughs> you would love to just set it up some way that Creighton is on the same side of the bracket as Connecticut, so that way they meet in the semis. Sure. Uh, in, in, in the Vicky's tournament, but I guess you really can't control that, so you can't think too much about it. But, you know, I, something about the last Creighton game that was, uh, you know, a big reason why Marquette was so successful the first time around at home was Marquette's effort on the boards was terrific in that game. Mm-hmm. They grabbed 18 offensive rebounds. Oso Iguodaro himself was credited with 16 rebounds. And as I remember correctly, Phil, this is something we talked about after the game. Like, it was that situation where Oso, like, would tap the ball out yep. and get credit for rebounds. And so I think that was, like, part of the strategy in that game when you got a guy who's 7-1 in the middle as opposed to trying to, like, outreach him for the ball and, and grab it. Like, Oso would routinely... Uh, tap it out to someone, just like reach up with one hand and just know where his teammates are and get it to them. And I, I that was a big reason for the success the last time around. So I, I would anticipate something similar uh, in this game. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And you know the the other thing that'll be interesting to see. It was a you know not court storming level controversy, but there was there was a bit of an online controversy regarding. Uh, Shaka's defense uh, in that first game against Creighton. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's you right. know the clip if you saw it online of of uh, David Joplin going to, uh, to 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 cut off Shireman as he was going to the baseline, and Shaka was in his defensive crouch. And admittedly, he was on the court. I I will contend he did not impact the play at all. But I understand why why people were air quotes, outraged over over Shaka's complete disregard for the sanctity of basketball on the sideline. Um, but I think we know that Creighton fans are nothing if not petty, awful, you know, yeah. like rememberers of thing. So I think that's going to uh, be part of this. Yeah, that could be a little annoying, I think. 
Yeah, I, 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 if you remember the game last year when Marquette pulled out that win in Omaha, you know, Shaka had just a, one of his patented just, you know, jump in the air, fist pumps, and screaming in celebration towards the crowd because I can only imagine what those fans directly behind the Marquette bench were yelling at Shaka for right. the entire game. Right. Uh, I'm sure by the end he, he was done with it and just wanted to say a big, you know, you know what, to you guys, if we're right. out of here, uh, we're going to take this W back to Milwaukee with us. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure the fans will be especially obnoxious uh, to Shaka and the Marquette bench uh, in this coming game. You know, I guess you also saw after the Connecticut game, um, uh, after Creighton won that game, some like there was a video of Dan Hurley saying, you yeah, know, I'll knock you out. And mm-hmm. I think some people like posted that to like make Hurley look bad. Like I think most of us who follow Big East basketball like kind of understood where he was come from on that one. Like that actually makes him more endearing. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I, actually, this is the first time in my life I've been pro Dan Hurley. Yeah, I, no, I think there was actually another angle on that uh, that controversy. That's what you want to call it. Like I think like fans were like leaning over like they were about to jump in like some security guard says don't do it he'll knock you out and Hurley kind of responded to that. It's like yeah I'll knock you out. Right, I think that's what right. prompted that comment. But anyway, I, I, even if that was not true, Dan Hurley just talking smack to a Creighton fan actually makes him more likable in in, in my mind. So, right, right. Uh, but yeah, I think the the crowd will be loud. The crowd it will be a very hostile environment for sure because you know Creighton is they I'm trying to think can they get up to two in the Big East? Maybe they probably could if they went out uh, and got a little help. They'd have to get some help, but yeah, they could get there, right? Because then if Creighton beats us, let's assume we win and they win. So they'd be uh, in the games on Wednesday. So they'd be 12 and 12 and six. We'd be 12 and or 13 and four going into that. So then that 13 and five versus 13 and six. So, I mean, yeah. they so could if, get there. If, if Creighton wins out and Marquette were to lose two games, including, say, the Creighton game and the Connecticut game, we would each have six losses, and then they would come down the tiebreakers from there. Right. So, yeah, it's Creighton, Creighton wants to get on the opposite side of the, the Big East tournament bracket from Connecticut, I'm sure. So, And, again, they probably would – I don't know how high they could climb in bracketology. I think – see, where are they in bracket matrix you touched on earlier? Yeah, they, they are trending on bracket matrix as a high four seed. So – I'm sure they would like to be a little higher, get up in that 3-2 range. Winning out would probably help them in that regard. So it's a dangerous team in a tough environment. Um, I don't know how I want to predict this game because it, it's going to be quite a battle. But Well, a couple of things. I, well, one, real quick, before you predict it, um, I, we forgot to mention in the Providence game, if Marquette beats Providence, I think that guarantees Marquette a, a buy in the Big East tournament. Because that Providence would, right. Providence would then be nine and eight, and there would no, and so Marquette and Providence and Villanova would have eight losses, and Marquette would have four, and they own the tiebreakers over Providence and Villanova. So then, well, I guess yeah. So Marquette could not, if Marquette wins this week, they could not finish with more than eight than losses. seven losses. Yeah, 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 yeah. Correct. Yeah, you're right. Seven losses. Yep. So. So yeah, beat beat Providence. The other thing, go, going back to the uh, to the Connecticut or the Creighton game, um, it is it's going to be really interesting because um, we have found someone that gets fouled less than Marquette. Um, if you look at the the free throw attempts per free throw or, or excuse me, free throw attempts per foot field goal attempted on Ken Palm, Marquette gets twenty five percent. Of, of their field goals generate or field goal attempts generate a free throw, which is, you know, 348th in the country, which just as a reminder, there are 362 teams. But uh, Creighton is 351st. So this, I mean, this may be a game where we go into halftime and there's like three fouls on each team or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Maybe this game might end in like an hour and 45 minutes. It would be, I, no you fouls know, called. I, I, because Creighton doesn't play the the bully ball type that like a St. John's or or some of the other Big East teams do. Not not that they're soft or or whatever, but like if Marquette and Creighton are not having a lot of fouls called, it's not going to be because refs are allotting let, letting like every piece of physicality go. It's going to be because you know they're just not fouling each other. 
Yeah, I uh, I don't know if Creighton tracks deflections, but I'm guessing if they did, they, it wouldn't be a great number because they're they don't force turnovers at all on right. defense. They're um, the worst they're, like, in the country. Yeah, like one. Yeah, they actually are dead last in the country in forcing turnovers, and uh, I would think their block percentage would be higher just because of Kalkbrenner, but it's really not. It's in the bottom third of the country. It's ranked 229th. So, like, this is a team. I think their their defense is probably more just on like positioning and maybe getting a hand up and making you make a mistake as opposed to really like going for deflections and trying to deflect passes and trying to steal the ball because they just don't do it. So this should be a game where Marquette does not have very many turnovers at all if Creighton's defense plays the way it pretty much has all year. And I guess Marquette had 13 turnovers the last time these two teams played. Um, Creighton, in comparison, had 18 in that game. So, yeah, the Creighton's just not a team that's going to force very many turnovers. So Marquette should be able to take care of the ball. and That should allow them to, I would hope, execute their offense. It's just, as far as passing and distributing the ball, I think the thing that's going to be difficult for them as I touched on earlier, is just getting into the lane and getting those tough layups over Kalkbrenner, who is obviously a lot to deal with in the middle. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to come down to how much Marquette tries to move and is able to move Kalkbrenner around um, so that they can generate looks at the rim. Right? I, you know, hopefully threes are falling and and Cam Jones is you know if Jam, Cam Jones wants to put up another thirty four spot, I'm not going to be mad about it. Um, you know, but you know, the, the three point shooting, you know, has been better of late, but, but there's nothing that says that has to continue. So they need to, they're going to need to get to the rim and, and Colt Brenner is a, a bit of a concern there. So they're going to have to move the ball around on offense. Um, and then defensively they're, they're going to have to stay in front of Trey Alexander and, and Ashworth, who I kind of totally wrote off or disregarded in in January because it just he didn't seem to be, you know, a, a quality Big East player. He's he's come to life a little bit here of late. So, um, you know, there's lots of things for for Shaka and that team to to think about. I don't know how do you see the how do you see this game ending up? Uh, you know, I'm kind of in this mode with this team right now that I, I feel like I'm putting bad juju in the universe if I do anything other than predict a win. Mm. For Marquette, like, like the vibes are pretty good with this team right now. Right. Um, look, if Creighton shoots the ball the way the way they did against Connecticut, Marquette has no chance in this game. Right. They just they were just ridiculous from three, and I just I'm just hoping it's not a performance like that because if if that happens, it's it's going to be a rough go. But also, the way Marquette has been executing and playing lately, outside of the Connecticut game, has really been elite. Uh, and I, I think they have it in them to go into Omaha and, and steal a win and really kind of solidify themselves as one of the upper tier teams that I think they would, you know, understandably be still viewed a tier below what essentially been agreed upon as the, the undisputed big three right now in college basketball of, in some order, Connecticut, Purdue, Houston. But I, I think a win in Omaha this week would solidify Marquette as right at the top of that next tier. Like, okay maybe not national title favorite level as those three teams I just mentioned, but the next group that we're talking about, who's going to be the other team in the final four. Right. Well, and, and it, I mean, the, this win matter or that the game matters because if you get that win and you stack it or pair it with a win against Connecticut at home, and I know how the result of that game on the road went, but you know, we saw it last year where there was a difference between home and away in, in that series. Um, you know, if you get those two wins back to back as a potential, right? If regardless of the Big East tournament, because it almost won't matter. But if um, you know Marquette wins its last four here, it puts itself in contention. I'm not saying they would get it, but it puts itself in in contention for that fourth number one seed, right? And that's that's what you want, right? I think. Yep. You know, we'd we'd need Allen to speak on it, but I I think we're solidly even if let's. Let's assume worst case scenario and we lose the Creighton and we lose the Connecticut game. I still think we're probably a two seed, maybe at worst a three seed, um, just because other teams around us keep losing two, right? Um, you know, so it's not like we're we're done and we're dropping to a four seed if we if we don't beat Creighton on the road. 
But it is an important game, and I think, you know, this team, again, is playing with a bit of a swagger. They want to prove they belong, right? They had an opportunity to play a Connecticut team on the road in in front of the national press, and I have a sneaking suspicion the players were a little bit embarrassed by how that game went. Um, and and I think they've now got a chip on their shoulder to say, hey, look, we we got to get back to us. And we're seeing that with Cam. We're seeing that with Tyler um, and, and the rest of the team. And if they can continue that, I think they have a great opportunity to go in, win, the, win on the road in Creighton. Um, and I, I kind of think they do it. I kind like I think it's going to be tight, right? Like I think it's going to be a back and forth. But I think this is something like a four or five point win in in Omaha when when it's all said and done. Yeah, I I'm kind of with you there. I, I'm I'm feeling again. I I just I'm fighting back against the the idea the idea of like just like trying to like go with my head and just follow Ken Bomb. Like okay, Marquette's projected to lose this game, so it's probably going to be a loss. Um, for what it's worth, it is projected as a they are projected as a three point underdog in Omaha on Saturday, according to Ken Palm. But yeah, it just feels like uh, I, I just my gut instinct is just to ride the positive vibes with the team right now and trust that uh, what we've seen really for almost uh, six weeks or two or three. Well, let me see how what am I looking at? Say about three or four weeks here, except for the Connecticut game. Team's been playing great, honestly. Right. Uh, it's just that Connecticut game just really we've people got so sour on them after that one game where they just got absolutely destroyed. But they've bounced back, and they're right back to where they were before that game. That's fifth in the country. Yep. So, yeah, I, I, I feel good about it. But I also, if Marquette goes in and loses at Creighton, really by any margin, I mean, I, if they got blown out the way they did at Connecticut, that would not feel great. But still, it doesn't really change the big picture if that happened, right? Right. I, I, I think big picture, I, out, of, out of their last four games – I think you want Marquette to win three out of four some way or the other. Whether Obviously, you want to beat Providence and beat Xavier. And then between Connecticut at home and Creighton on the road, you want to get one of those. And if you do that, I think you are solidly a two-seed. Right, right. Which and which would you prefer? You can, would you prefer the Connecticut at home or Creighton on the road? If you could only get one of the two, which do you prefer? Ooh, that's a great question. I think I'd like to get create, uh, get Connecticut at home just to get a split with them, yep. I think would be nice. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I, if I can only have one, because losing at Creighton, there's no shame in going to Omaha and losing on the road against uh, a top 10, 15 team in the country. Right. Uh, but I, I think you want to defend your home court. You want to beat the reigning national champs. Getting a split with a team that's going to go into March is one of, if not the favorite, to win the national title. I think that'd be good to have. So yeah, if I can only have one, I would want to see them be Connecticut at home. It's plus that's Tyler Noso's senior day, man. Yeah. Gotta win that one. Yep. Gotta win that one. Yep. Yep. We can yep. talk about that yep. next week, but I don't really want them to win that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I you know, and I quite frankly, let's just win them all. But you know, I do think yeah. I agree with you that Connecticut one is the more important to win if I'm picking. But I think what would be nice to get a win at Creighton is to, you know, I, I understand why there might be a narrative that, hey, Marquette can't win on the road. Because, I mean, six out of, or five out of six of Marquette's losses have been on the road, um, you know. And now Purdue is a neutral, but, you know, obviously, you know, Honolulu is not Milwaukee, so they weren't playing at home. But they it lost. It definitely is not. Right, you know. Honolulu is definitely not Milwaukee. <laughs> right. I just, you know, geography class. Um Yes. But, you know, Purdue's the number two Ken Palm team. They lost by three. They lost to Wisconsin. We all remember that by 11. But on the road, Ken, Wisconsin is playing terribly now, but they're still a Ken Palm top 25 team. Um, Weird. I don't remember that, actually. Don't remember that at all. Oh, yeah. Um, memory hold it. Um, they lost to Providence on the road. They lost to Seton Hall on the road. But, again, that was during the swoon. Providence without Stevie. Seton Hall without Chase. Those are Ken Palm 53 and 56, respectively respectively and then obviously Connecticut on the road is as a Ken Palm number three team so they've been losing they've lost the majority of their games to um high level on the road talent if you go in and you beat Creighton 
that starts to shift that a little bit because you can then really say, hey, look, there were some aberrations there, but Marquette's able to to because you know beating a tw- top twelve team on the road. I think is depending on the situation is roughly as difficult as beating a top five team in the NCAA tournament when it's presumably a neutral court, right? Like, so, so that kind of goes a long way towards showing, Hey, Marquette can do this. Right. Um, You know, so I, I I think they will win. I think they got the vibes. I think Creighton's got a little bit of um, some, you know, a little bit of the, uh, Providence last year, heebie-jeebies of maybe their coaches, you know, shopping around for a better deal um, that may or may not. That's uh, out there. You know, I'm not making this up. There are reports um, that I'm gleefully re-reporting. But, you know, uh, McDermott might might be struggling to keep the the team together, you know, a la Ed Cooley last year if, if, you know, a – a realtor posts his house uh, on a on a website somewhere or something like that. So, I, I think between you know, as the kids say, vibes and and the way Marquette's playing right now and the way Creighton is is kind of sort of playing, I just I just think Marquette's in a good spot to to go into Omaha and get a win there. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Wouldn't be shocked if they lost, but I uh, I'm gonna put some faith in the team that I, I think they got something to show everybody on on Saturday against Creighton. We'll see how that one goes. I want to talk tournament just a little bit before we wrap this thing up here, Phil. Uh, you know, uh, you we mentioned about where Marquette could move in the bracket, where they could end up and you know, they, they are trending towards the two line. Um the, uh, as, when last season ended, you know, one thing you said that I thought was very very rang very true is like you wish it was like a video game and you could just restart and pick up right there and just do it again as a two seed, you know, and just run it back from right there. And But unfortunately, Marquette can't do that. They had to reset, go back to zero and zero, and had to earn their way back to that line. And that's essentially what they've done, more or less. And that's the point I'm trying to make here is they essentially have hit reset. They had to do it the long way and actually win 21 games to this point to get back to that two line. But essentially, Marquette has put themselves in position to be exactly where they were a year ago as a two seed in the NCAA tournament and get another opportunity to make a run towards the final four. According to Bracket Matrix, which if you're not familiar with that, it's a pretty cool website. It basically compiles brackets from, gosh, how many people? Like a lot. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it. It's <laughs> dozens of us. 107. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think Alan Bukowski is actually one of the people it tracks, right? Yes. Um, yeah, so he's he's on here somewhere. But anyway, it gathers everyone across the internet who does brackets and essentially averages them out to one master bracket. So so you can see among 107 brackets where your team is averaging among all these people who do this. And God bless them for doing it because I would not have the patience for it. But of course, all these brackets currently, as we're recording this on Monday night, Marquette uh, is coming in as the last two seed, averaging 2.07. So by comparison, the team just ahead of them, Kansas, is averaging 2.04. The team right behind them, the best three seed, Iowa State, is averaging 2.94. So there's a little bit of a gap there. Uh, to no, no surprise, Purdue, Connecticut, Houston, Arizona are the top four. Those are the four ones right now, according to this. North Carolina, Tennessee, Kansas, Marquette would be all your two seeds right now. So I I think what you kind of said earlier is true, Phil. I think Marquette is in a position that if it were to win out and have a good showing in the Big East tournament, and I think it's actually been pretty well documented. I think Alan Bukowski has even touched on this, that there's not a ton of movement once conference tournament week starts just because everyone is going to take a loss. So, But if Marquette wins out, and that would include – a road win at Creighton and a home win against Connecticut, those are two high Q1 wins, right? Like, that's as good as it gets. Um, and th- they could slide up a little bit, and as Arizona doesn't have a whole lot of Q1 opportunities left, uh, Marquette might make a case for that last one. I wouldn't bet on it, but the bottom line I'm trying to make here, Phil, is Marquette is in great position. Even with a rough stumble down the stretch here, they should be at worst a three seed, I would think, and I think they're 
really in good shape for a two. Right. I mean, well, if, if we, we hardly ever talk quads on this pod, but like if we look at quads, right, if you beat Creighton on the road and UConn at home, those are both Q1 wins, right? And I think Xavier on the road is at least a Q2 win. Um, and then uh, Providence at home is probably a Q2 win as well. It might, yeah, it's got to be a Q2 win. Um, so if, if Marquette runs the table, they would then be, um, uh, they would be, I'm doing math on the fly. They would be, uh, 15 and six in quad one and quad two games. Um, just for reference, currently Tennessee is 11 and six in quad two. Auburn for some reason is a, is a seven in the net. Auburn is nine and six in quad two. Um, uh, let's see, Arizona is eleven and five in quad two. Right now, obviously, they play games, and so they could match. But um, the good news is there are no quad three, quad four games out there, unless you count the Big East tournament. If you know for some stupid reason, DePaul or Georgetown advance and then play us. Um, but there are really no quad three, quad three or quad four games out there for us to stumble on. So it's really a race to see how many Q1 and Q2 wins you can stack up. If we can get to 14 or 15 Q2, or excuse me, Q1, Q2 wins, I think that gets us solidly a two seed. And if we run the table in the regular season, I think that probably surpasses, um, you know, a team like Arizona or Tennessee, and we can we can sneak into that fourth one seed. But but that may depend on you know what happens in the tournaments and all that stuff. But I think the bottom yeah, line. Yeah, go ahead. No, yeah, you finish your thought there. Oh, I was just going to say I, the bottom line is Marquette's got its destiny. It's in, in in its own hands. It it is capable of winning these games in front of it. Uh, I know some folks may not always feel like, hey, you know, Marquette's that great, but they are like objectively a very good team, so they can win these games in front of them if they do so. Um, like you said, Marquette is reset back to what happened last season. Let's see if we learned anything, you know, like, you know, Tom Cruise and Edge of Tomorrow. Did we, you know, did we figure all the, 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 the things that can go wrong and avoid them um, to make a deep run? I think it's also the lesson Loki learned in season two. Correct. That was yeah, probably the but, more topical yeah. reference, but, you know. Yeah, that, that, might, that might connect with the audience a little more. But yeah, th- what I was going to say is, like, if I'm looking at a team ahead of Marquette that I'm kind of circling that they could maybe leap, um, Arizona's the one I had kind of have circled just because you look at their remaining schedule, no Q. I don't think these are any, any of these are Q1 games. They got at Arizona State, Oregon at home, UCLA on the road, USC on the road. Those, You know, and, does UCLA want to do us a huge, huge favor? That would be sweet, yeah. And the thing is, if the thing is, if Arizona wins all their games, they'll be fine. They'll probably get that last one seed, especially if they win out and win the Pac-12 tournament. But the thing is, if if Arizona takes a loss between now and Selection Sunday, it's not going to be a great loss. It's not going to be a terrible like Q4 loss, probably. But it's you know, it it would pale a comparison to say if Marquette won out but lost to Connecticut in the Big East championship game, right? Like that doesn't hurt you at all. So I, I think. That's a team that now some of the other teams ahead of Marquette. Yeah, I mean Tennessee has a lot of Q1 opportunities left. Kansas has some good Q1 opportunities left, but those are also chances to take losses. And Kansas might be without McCullers like through the end of the regular season. So Kansas might actually be hurting. They might be limping down the stretch. So Kansas is another team I think just because they might be a little shorthanded for a while. That's mm-hmm. another team I think Marquette could maybe slide past. But ultimately, I I do think Allen was saying. Um, Marquette is probably going to be either in the south or shipped out west because they're not going to be in the same bracket as Connecticut and uh, probably not in the same bracket as Purdue. So he he kind of has them circled as either going as the two seed in the south or the two seed out west, which if you had if you had to do one of those, I would rather not go out west to play Arizona. Um I, I would rather be in the South, but I, you know you're probably not going to get to the Midwest uh, just because you're kind of blocked there. But yeah, do I, we uh, want to play? But, do we want to go and play Houston though? Yeah, I mean you got to play somebody eventually. Right. <laughs> right. right. I mean, yeah, like, you can't duck them yeah. for unless you're Connecticut last year and you played like a six, a five. You know. Yeah, 
you just you just gotta hope somebody does your work for you before you get to the final four. But um, yeah, so I, that that's kind of where the we'll maybe check in again on this for each of the next few weeks to kind of see where things are trending. But the bottom line is Marquette has put together a great schedule and navigated it very well. You mentioned the strength of schedule last week, Phil, and kind of as you predicted, the games this week knocked our strength of schedule back a little bit. But it's still good, right? It's still top 20, 21st. Yep. So I'm still strong. But the fact that they've uh, got 21 wins against the 21st rated schedule, pretty good. Right. Well, and that yeah, schedule will only that number will go up, right? You add a, a road Creighton game and a and a Connecticut game at home, um, that will 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 be a top fifteen strength of schedule when the season ends. I just I find it hilarious that we were seven before we de- played DePaul, beat the be, beat the bejesus out of them and dropped to fourteen, and then beat the bejesus out of Xavier and dropped to twenty one. So like you know we're not doing ourselves any favor by by clown showing some of these some of these teams, but you know if we can get two solid wins here, we'll be back in the top fifteen from a strength of schedule standpoint. And like you said, yeah, it's impressive. Yeah. They're in great shape. So take care of business this week, especially against Providence. That would happen whatever happens against Creighton. Uh, I don't think it will affect the big picture goals. At all, because Marquette's put itself in great shape, and they're playing pretty good ball right now. We'll just hope that continues for, say, another month and change. So, I think it's about time to wrap this thing up, Phil. What yeah, think? I think I, th- I think we covered it. Yeah, I think we got it. All right, as always, you can hit us up on X Twitter. I'm Joe McCann3. Phil is M-O-O-O-F-23 at Crack Sidewalk. This is the team handle. Go to CrackSidewalks.com. We post the podcast there. You can leave comments on CrackSidewalks.com. And, of course, remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Phil, enjoy the games this week. Will you be in attendance for the Providence contest? I most certainly am, and the two uh, children characters will be in attendance as well. So, uh we're gonna Excellent. we're gonna have a, a a real good time. Enjoy the games, everybody, because we don't have that many left. But hopefully, a lot of excitement still to come. Have a great week. Till next time, seashells and balloons. <laughs> <laughs>